0: What up, son? It's the Tale of the Tapes! The fuck life! Sam? Tale of the Tapes, season two, Episode 61. So only one more week after this until our summer break, which I'm pretty fucking excited for, so. On today's episode, we will be covering Ja Rule and Esoteric of the group 7L and Esoteric. So, allow me to speak on my personal opinions and expectations on both Ja Rule and Esoteric. I had Ja Rule's debut album, Veni, Veni, Vici, from 1999. I was 13 years old when it came out, and while I won't say it's in my top 25 favorite hip-hop albums of all time, I definitely do remember loving that album. I was never a big enough Ja Rule fan to make sure I went out of my way to cop the rest of his albums. I may have had one more if that, I'm not even sure, but in passing I probably heard a good chunk of them, and I always kind of felt like Ja Rule was a bit underrated and took a lot of flack for shit I didn't really feel he deserved. That's not to say that I thought Ja Rule was amazing, but... I know he had a lot of hits and thought maybe he could be a sleeper in this study. Esoteric's name I had heard just from being so involved in the hip-hop scene, but had never really heard anything from him. Um, I had also heard of the group, but wasn't even sure if 7L was a producer or a rap partner with Esoteric or what. For the record, 7L is strictly the producer and not a rapper, so that's why the title is just Esoteric and not necessarily 7L and Esoteric, because... While 7L is clearly an instrumental part of the group, he's not being judged or scored here today, but you never want to leave the DJs or producers absent at the end of the day and shit like that. So as far as what I expected from Esoteric, it's hard for me to say as I never really heard anything of him to form an opinion, but I've discussed this on previous episodes when covering other underground artists. There's some sort of a reputation with them for the most part for being either very original or very lyrical or both. So again, while I can't speak on Esoteric personally because I never had any listening experience, I did somewhat expect him to at least be a decent lyricist, if nothing else. So last week, I told you guys that Benefit and RZA were the last two artists being covered in the calendar year of 1998. So today, we officially leave 1998 and move on to not only a new year, but our very last year here in the 90s decade. So crazy, crazy stuff here. And we have both of these artists making their debut in 1999, but Ja Rule was out first, so we'll start off with him. His birth name is Jeffrey Bruce Atkins, also known as Ja, born February 29th, 1976 in New York City, United States. His genres are listed as hip-hop, East Coast hip-hop, gangster rap, hardcore hip-hop, political hip-hop, and pop rap. And his years active are listed as 1994 to present. So nothing really out of the ordinary at all there. Although I do think it's pretty interesting that he has gangster rap and pop rap as two of his genres listed. Not sure those two things could be any more polar opposite. So an interesting tidbit there. But let's go right ahead and check out some additional background info on Ja Rule and see what we can find there. Jeffrey Bruce Atkins, born February 29, 1976, better known by his stage name Ja Rule, is an American rapper and actor. Born in Hollis, Queens, he debuted in 1999 with Veni Veni Vici and its lead single, Holla Holla. During the 2000s, Ja Rule was signed to Irv Gotti's Murder Inc. Records, formerly known as The Inc., From 1999 to 2005, Ja Rule had multiple hits that made the top 20 of the U.S. Billboard Hot 100 chart, including Between Me and You featuring Christina Milian, I'm Real Murder Remix, and Ain't It Funny, both with Jennifer Lopez, which both topped the Hot 100. The number one hit Always On Time featuring Ashanti, Mesmerized featuring Ashanti, and Wonderful featuring R. Kelly and Ashanti. Rule has been nominated for two American Music Awards and four Grammy Awards with respective collaborators Little Mo, Vita, Ashanti, and Case. Following the release of his platinum-selling debut Veni Vedi Vici in 1999, he released his second and third albums Rule 336 in 2000 and Pain Is Love in 2001. Both albums topped the U.S. Billboard 200 album chart, launching him into the mainstream, selling over a combined 15 million units to a wide audience and attaining triple platinum status from the Recording Industry Association of America, becoming his best-selling albums to date. Rule followed up with his fourth, fifth, and sixth albums The Last Temptation in 2002, Blood In My Eye in 2003, and Rule in 2004, with The Last Temptation attaining Platinum status and rule reaching Gold status. As of 2018, Ja Rule has sold 14.4 million units in the U.S. and has sold over 30 million records worldwide. In 2019, he joined the main cast of TV's Growing Up Hip Hop New York. So... I don't really think it comes as much of a surprise to most, certainly not to myself, that Ja Rule has had a good amount of hits and commercial success. That being said, that very success is what caused the stigma that now comes with Ja Rule, which is that of a fake gangster who is in reality a pop star. Now, this is not me saying this about Ja Rule, because I know nothing of the man personally. But this is the public persona that has preceded Ja Rule for at least the second half of his career, if not the majority of it, which ties right back into me pointing out how he had gangster rap and pop rap listed on his music genres. So quite the contradiction there, and obviously both things have to be taken into consideration, so let's get into my breakdown of Ja Rule and see how that reads. Ja Rule was both one of the easiest catalogs to go through and one of the most disappointing all at the same time. Easy because I liked a decent chunk of his music and he wasn't very complicated lyrically. Disappointing because I expected him to be better. When you're constantly criticized for selling out, you better make sure your lyrics are on point so you can just brush it off as hating. That wasn't really the case for Ja. While he did have some decent lines and clever rhyme schemes, He took shortcuts a lot and just didn't rhyme sometimes. He was however good at keeping a topic and had a pretty solid flow which held him at average lyrically overall. In total he has qualified 8 albums for scoring. Showing very strong consistency, 7 of those 8 albums were good with the remaining one being great. Of his 112 qualified songs, only 1 was great but 32 were good and none were weak. While Ja Rule certainly saw his fair share of commercial success... He was never taken very seriously as a hip-hop artist by a lot of his peers and took some very public L's that didn't help his case. He also only clearly musically influenced Joe Budden. Although Ja Rule's voice and delivery were unique to only him, that was pretty much where his originality stopped for the most part. So, sounds like a lot of give and take there for Ja Rule, which again, fits perfectly into the tale of Ja Rule's career when you look back at it, so... Let's break down the math here for Ja and see where he finishes. Lyrics, he gets a five. And this was, you know, it was kind of a tough one because Ja Rule had these moments where I was like, oh, okay, that was pretty dope. Whether it was a dope line or, you know, consistently being able to keep a topic on every song that was a topical song or, you know, some rhyme schemes that he used or whatever. I was like, oh, okay. But he was just very inconsistent, like they would just, you know, some songs he would be really dope, and, you know, he would get a good or a great song, and then on the very next song, it would be like, ah, you know, I mean, yeah, he had some decent lines in there that brought the song back to even, but he just didn't rhyme two or three times, or, you know, he missed some major opportunities, or whatever the case was, so, Ja Rule was a bit inconsistent lyrically, and... It was just a constant give and take of, you know, dope line didn't rhyme. Dope flow used a run-on bar. Used a rhyme scheme, then used a shortcut. It was kind of one of those things. And I don't want to sound like every bar was like that. There were plenty of bars from Ja Rule that were like quote-unquote filler where the majority of his bars were just average. But I want to point out that he did have some above average things that he did. And he did have some below average things that he did. So all that stuff wound up evening each other out in the long run. Ja Rule was pretty consistent overall. From bar to bar or maybe song to song not necessarily consistent lyrically. But on the total of the album pretty consistent you know throughout his entire career. And he stayed at a five day lyrically. Albums he gets a 4.37 with zero classics and... That's a solid score, man. Like I said, eight albums for Ja Rule, seven good albums and one great album. So I don't have anything negative there to say for Ja Rule as far as the albums are concerned. Songs, he gets a plus .09. That's obviously a very small number. He got that by having 112 songs. Only one of them was great, but none were weak, which came out to .9%, and then you move the zero, you get the plus .09. But again, He could be losing a .09, which would be a difference of .18. Again, still not major at all. So, you know, almost nothing here for Ja Rule. But I just want to point out that he is getting at least something where he could be losing something. So, definitely more good than bad there, and I want to give him credit where he deserves it. Impact, he gets a a 5.5. And like I said, there's give and take in this area for Ja Rule. We have to take a lot of things into consideration when it comes to Ja Rule here. We have to look at the fact that when it comes to commercial success and, and, you know, mainstream things and stuff like that, Ja Rule definitely did some very impressive stuff. We had Grammy nominations. We had, uh, you know, a uh, uh, Academy Awards or whatever it was. And, um, you know, ch- a lot of charting singles and stuff like that. So I don't want to take that away from Ja Rule. But again, on the flip side of that, we have a lot of contradictory stuff here with the gangster rap and the, the pop rap and the genres and you know just a lot of things that Ja Rule was accused of of you know just constantly taking ecstasy and being soft and being this fake gangster fake thug and you know you're screaming murder and you're fucking singing on your records and it, it, again I'm not saying that you have to be a killer to be a rapper or anything like that and again I liked a lot of Ja Rule's music I still do to this day and I'm, I'm not ashamed to admit it. I like a lot of Ja Rule's music. But technically speaking, Ja Rule wasn't that good. And when it comes to impact, these are things that Ja Rule gets criticized for. Like it, agree with it, or not, it is what it is. And I have to take both of those things into consideration. When the hip-hop... And I'm not saying that this happened to Ja Rule. I'm not saying that everybody in the hip-hop community hates Ja Rule. But I'm just trying to make a point. When the hip-hop community is in no way shape or form accepting of you and I actually just thought of a random pretty good example off the top of my head um I believe the dude's name was I'm gonna divert to my music partner in crime here Dirty T who hasn't been featured on any episodes as a guest yet but he's going to be featured on this one right now. And he doesn't know it. But we're going to. This is like a phone a friend on who wants to be a millionaire. I can't remember this dude's name. And I tried looking it up and I can't find it. So this is what me and Dirty T do. This is how our relationship works. And I can almost guarantee you. That when I call him and ask him this question. He's going to give me the answer right away. <laughs> and I do the same for him usually. So let's see. Let's put Dirty to the test here. Phone a friend. I would like to call Dirty T. Hello? Yo, I'm using my phone-a-friend life, uh lifeline here. I'm calling Dirty T. What? <laughs> Yo, what was that dude's name, bro, that had that freestyle, and he said, I want to dig up Big and Pac and say, fuck them, too? Big stop. Unbelievable! 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 Yo, my man. I knew you would fucking hook me up, bro. Big a problem. I knew it, bro. What the fuck is wrong with me forgetting that? one that was it yeah I mean I, I understand why but <laughs> but yo listen I'm actually in the middle of recording a podcast and I couldn't think of that dude's name so I had a phone a friend so whether you like it or not you have officially made it onto a podcast I appreciate you bro alright no problem <laughs> peace son no. dirty tea coming through in a fucking instant I knew it big sty I knew this motherfucker was gonna know it So there you go. You just got a glimpse into the world of me and Dirty T and that is a perfect example of why I always refer to Dirty T as my music partner in crime. So, as I was saying, a good example of what I'm talking about is somebody like Big Sty. Right? And I don't know if you guys know who I'm talking about or not, but Big Sty caught a buzz off of a freestyle that he did where he basically was just shitting on everybody in the rap industry. But his basis for shitting on these people was basically on some shit that this industry is so fucking corny that anyone that's even involved in it can go fuck themselves on principle because I know what you had to do to get into it. And I don't respect you right off the bat. And he was killing it, right? And then in his final two bars, I don't remember exactly how he rhymed it, but to make an extremely strong point, he said... Something along the lines of, I'm so disgusted with this industry and everyone in it that I almost feel like digging up big in Pac's grave and saying, fuck you too. And this dude was immediately shut down. I can't even find the freestyle anywhere. Maybe if I go type in his name now or something, I could probably find it. But it's just the type of thing where nobody was receptive to this. Everybody in the hip hop community was just immediately like, nah, bro. Like we ain't fucking with you at all. You're not getting it on my radio. You're not getting any spins from me. Like you can't come out of your ass saying some shit like fuck Big and Pac. You just, you just can't. You can't say you want to dig them up and say fuck Big and Pac. You just can't do it. So I'm not saying that Ja Rule was like blackballed to that extent. But I'm just trying to make a point where if the hip hop community or a good chunk of the hip hop community is completely unreceptive of you. That has to be taken into consideration, bro. So, again, Ja Rule, definitely not to that extreme. But there was a lot of things that went on with Ja Rule, man. You know, between the beef with Eminem and and G-Unit and, you know, taking an L there. And then the shit that went on with Irv Gotti and that basically all folding. And there were just so many things, you know, Ja Rule kind of being made fun of for, like, singing on songs and... It was just a lot of negative shit that went on for Ja Rule, man, where he was kinda like, you know, picked on a bit and Listen, bro, I'm not I'm not gonna play taking sides here. You know, I don't I don't wanna say or oh, I don't think Ja Rule deserves it, because I don't really know Ja Rule like that. I don't really know the things that Ja Rule maybe said to people's faces and then did something different behind their backs or on a record or whatever. Again, I'm not accusing him of this. I'm just saying, I wasn't there, I don't know this man personally, to say whether the rap that he caught was warranted or not, I'm just here to address that it happened, it was real. So we have to take that shit into consideration. Now, speaking upon other things, we already spoke about how he had a good amount of commercial success, but speaking on other things, he really only clearly musically influenced Joe Budden, at least up to this point in the study, so... Taking those things into consideration as well I do still think that Ja Rule's popularity and commercial success by itself carries Ja Rule to an above average score in the impact department but again with the other things pulling it back down I think overall he gets a just above average score of five and a half in the impact department here originality, Ja Rule gets the same score, five and a half, and I'll kind of say the same thing for the originality that I said for the impact. So, Ja Rule's commercial success and popularity in itself carried him to an above average impact, but then there were other things that kind of dragged it back down to that five and a half. Same thing here for originality with Ja Rule. His voice and delivery were unique enough in themselves. Like, when Ja Rule comes in a song, you know it's Ja Rule. So... His voice and his delivery were unique enough in themselves to carry him to an above-average score for originality. But then again, the same with the impact, there were some other things that dragged him back down to a a 5.5. So overall, he gets a just-above-average score of 5.5 there in the originality department. So you add all those five numbers up, and you divide by five, and that gives you a final rating of 409 which leaves Ja Rule in a tie for 128th place of 197 artists done overall. So certainly not a great finish there for Ja Rule, especially considering the amount of commercial success he had. But again, something like that can either help or hurt you depending on the fashion you did it in. While I think Ja Rule's successes and accolades did help him a bit in his impact score, overall it probably more negatively affected Ja Rule than anything. I can't say that for a fact, as we don't know what could have happened had Ja Rule not made some of the decisions he made, but having both lived through and studied his entire career in catalog from the outside looking in, it looks like he may have been better off making some different choices in his career, but as far as who is Ja Rule is in a tie with, he's tied with Jermaine Dupree, who we covered just about a month ago on here, so that's pretty crazy when you think about that dynamic. Jermaine Dupree, really a producer first, who only registered two hip-hop albums for scoring. In all fairness, most people don't even really consider him a rapper, and here he is finishing in a tie with one of the more popular and commercially successful rappers. So, I'm not sure whether you want to call this a good look for JD or a bad look for Ja Rule, but either way, I don't think this is the finish that Ja would be looking for. But nonetheless, man, like I said, me personally... I don't dislike Ja Rule, and to be honest with you, I love a lot of Ja Rule songs, Call Me Corny, Chalk It Up To Nostalgia, whatever, but I'm a big fan of a lot of his radio hits, so. Now, again, this doesn't make them technically good or great songs, but I'm just trying to point out that in no way, shape, or form am I trying to shit on Ja Rule here, that is not my intention at all, I am personally a fan of a lot of his music, but it's my job here to call things what they are, so... Major shout outs to Ja Rule, man, for sure. Um, a lot of hits came from this man, and we can't take that away whether you love them or hate them. So now let's move on to underground artist Esoteric of 7L and Esoteric, who also had his debut album out in 1999. Birth name Seamus Ryan, born July 24th, 1974. Origins listed as Boston, Massachusetts, United States. Genres are listed as hip-hop. And his years active are listed as 1993 to present. So, not much really to discuss there. Pretty cut and dry. But I do want to point out that Esoteric is the first rapper to be from Boston since Guru in 1989. And only the second total all the way up to 1999 here. So, pretty interesting stuff there. Um, I personally expect to hear a couple more names from there. But I'm not sure if we will or not. So, we'll have to wait and see. But... Let's get into some additional background info on Esoteric now and see if we can find anything else out. Seamus Ryan, born July 24th, 1978, better known by his stage name Esoteric, is a Boston-based underground hip-hop artist. Esoteric is half of the hip-hop duo 7L and Esoteric, a third of Zarface, and is a member of underground hip-hop collective Army of the Pharaohs and Demigods. He started his solo career in 2007. So again, not much there aside from where he's from and some groups he's in and stuff like that. So important information for sure, just not an overabundance of it. But I do want to point out something else that's odd here. I'm not sure if anyone noticed this, but his date of birth was originally listed as 1974. Then in the background we just read, it said 1978. I obviously do a lot of research before doing these podcasts, but I left this like this for a reason. Every single piece of information that I could find on Esoteric, no matter the site, all had conflicting info on what year he was born. I saw everything from 74 to 78. One thing they all do agree on is that he was born on July 24th. So I don't officially know what year he was born in or exactly how old he is, but it seems to be somewhere between 1974 and 1978. So now let's check out my breakdown on Esoteric and see what I had to say. Although I knew nothing of him, I was convinced Esoteric was going to be a complicated underground artist I didn't enjoy much. While I was right about him being complicated, I actually couldn't help but find myself enjoying a decent amount of his material. He was great with multisyllabic rhymes and had a fair amount of dope lines. He did, however, use shortcuts and run-on bars sometimes. While he rhymed words just to rhyme words a lot, he was also very good at being able to keep a topic throughout a song and finished as a very good lyricist overall. Esoteric had a pretty large body of work, qualifying 15 albums in total for scoring. 6 with producer 7L, 2 solo, and 7 with Inspector Deck as Zarface. Of those 15, 2 were classics, another 3 were borderline classics, 8 were great, and only 2 even went as low as good, which is obviously very impressive stuff. Of his 199 songs qualified for scoring, 26 were great, another 105 were good, and none were weak. That makes two-thirds of Esoteric's total songs either good or better, which is again another impressive stat. If it weren't for an underground following, the size of his catalog, and artists he's worked with, there would be little to nothing to give Esoteric credit for in the Impact department. On top of that, he had no visible influences on any other artist thus far. While just back in 1995, Esoteric would have been super original in every way from his sound to his image, in the time he came out, he had a pretty typical underground look and sound to him with the hint of Jay-Z in his voice. While he certainly seemed to always be himself, he sampled a lot from other artists before him, particularly Jay-Z and Guru. He did, however, have a good amount of very original song ideas. So sounds like a pretty solid breakdown there for Esoteric and one that's pretty typical of what at least I personally expect to get from most underground rappers that make the cut. So let's add up the math here for Esoteric and see where he winds up. Lyrics he gets a seven and a half. Like I spoke about man, overall Esoteric a very good lyricist, no question about that. And he's one of those people that I want to point out that. Had he not used shortcuts and run-on bars sometimes, this is, again, one of those guys that really could have been at the top of that lyrical list. Again, 7.5, still a very good score. I'm not trying to knock that at all. I'm not saying that he's not going to make any lyrical lists or anything like that, but he probably was capable. I don't want to say he was capable because maybe he wasn't. Maybe he did need to use those run-on bars and shortcuts, but... Just a lot of times that he really, really shined, man. And then just some, you know, some little technical mishaps that did happen a decent amount of time that kind of, you know, hindered him from getting to that eight or that eight and a half or whatever. But he was great with multisyllabic rhymes. He definitely had a fair amount of dope lines, especially considering the size of the catalog that he had. Um, And like I said, he did, you know he was a rhymer so it was just a lot of times that he would just be rhyming words to rhyme words and stuff like that but like i said he was also very good at being able to keep a topic throughout a whole song and that was even through having some very original song ideas and stuff like that so very good lyricist here in esoteric no question about that he gets a seven and a half in the lyrics department albums he gets a 6.03 with two classics That's a fucking great album score. And then on top of that, you're getting two extra points for classic albums. So that's obviously very, very impressive stuff there for Esoteric as far as the albums is concerned. And like I said, that came from a total of 15 albums. Two of those albums were classics. Another three of them were borderline classics. So I wouldn't even argue with somebody that said Esoteric has closer to five classics. I would say, yeah, you know, I could see that. That's 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 the reason that I make sure that I go out of my way to call something a borderline classic. Because at the end of the day, in all reality, a 2.0 is a great album. Because anything 1.6 or higher is a great album, and 2.1 is where you get credit for the classic. So, 2.0 is technically, numerically speaking, as far as what I'm calling things, it's a great album. But I call it a borderline classic, and there's a reason for that, is because... That's such a little discrepancy. I can't speak to every particular album, but that could be a scenario where a disagreement on a line here or there could have swayed the difference of that getting a 2.0 or a 2.1. So I'd call it a borderline classic to point out how small that margin could possibly be. So I would never argue with somebody that said, You know, he probably had like five classic albums, bro. You're crazy. I would say, yeah, you might be right. I could see that. I could definitely see that. But nonetheless, officially two of them hit that 2.1 or higher. So he is going to get the two extra points for the classics. But I'm just pointing that out, man. 15 albums, two classic albums, three borderline classics, eight great albums, and only two that even went as low as being good. So incredible stuff there when it comes to the albums for Esoteric. No question. Songs, he gets a plus 1.3. Again, I'll say it. If you're getting plus or minus a full point in this department, becomes significant. He's getting a full point and a third. So, again, very solid stuff in the songs department here from Esoteric. Like I said, he had a total of 199 songs. 26 of those songs were great. None were weak. That came out to 13%. You slide the decimal place and he gets a plus 1.3 in the songs department. So, really solid scores across the board here for Esoteric, no doubt about it. Impact, he gets a 4. And like I said, there was a couple of things to keep into consideration here. So, yes, Esoteric and 7L and Esoteric, they have a bit of an underground following. It's not to the extent of like Jedi Mind Tricks or some of the other underground artists that we've covered so far. But he does have, you know, a pretty decent underground following. So I'm not trying to shit on him. I don't want to you know, blow this out of proportion here, but there really isn't anything here where I feel I could notch him up to four and a half. So for example, you know, you have scenarios like Benefit where it's probably down by a three and a half, but then he, he's the first rapper to ever go viral and he wins that Naps the Song contest. Then you have other people where it's like, all right, they didn't really have any success, but they did have that one huge song like Lord Tariq and Peter Guns, let's say. Right? And and there's all these different examples of how people are getting, you know, just below average or whatever they're getting. So there really wasn't anything here for me to reach to give Esoteric that four and a half. You know, we were just kind of going off the underground following to carry him to a four. There wasn't a giant list of people that he influenced or something that I could really reach out and give this dude some extra credit for and raise this to a four and a half or a five. So He gets a below average score of four for impact there. And originality, he gets a seven and a half. Like I said, man, in general, Esoteric as an artist was pretty original. He had a very good amount of very original song ideas. You know, not even just things where, all right, yeah, okay, I don't really hear too many people make songs about that. He had some very, very original ones where I've never heard anybody make songs like that, even to this day. So... I feel like that was mostly what carried him to a seven and a half because he did sample a lot, particularly from Jay-Z and Guru, but there were definitely a big chunk of other people. But like I said, sampling, yeah, it will take away. Okay, that's why it's not a nine or an eight and a half or an eight or something like that. I'm not saying he lost two and a half points just due to sampling. There were some other things that had to do with it. Like I said, I don't want to say that his sound and his look were typical, because they weren't necessarily typical, but that is what was coming out, you know, within three, four, five years of Esoteric coming out. That stuff had kind of been out. It was a typical for the underground scene. So if you looked at Esoteric, you would probably know, oh, this dude's an underground rapper, as opposed to a commercially mainstream successful rapper. Now, again... I'm sure that Esoteric himself would be very happy about that and say, good, you better fucking know that I'm an underground rapper and not one of these fucking mainstream clowns or whatever. Maybe he might not word it aggressively like that, but you get the point that I'm trying to make. So again, this is not to shit on Esoteric, but I'm just trying to point out we don't have a ridiculous dude out of left field here that was wearing some shit that nobody else was wearing it was pretty typical for the underground but like i said he did have a good amount of very original song ideas and stuff like that so i thought overall esoteric was a pretty original artist despite all the sampling and stuff like that so he gets a very good score of seven and a half in the originality department there so you add all those six numbers up because we have classic albums here so you're going to add the lyric score the album score the two points for the classics The song score, the impact score, and the originality score. You're going to divide by five because that's the number of categories that we're working with. And you get a final rating of 5.67, which puts Esoteric in 29th place of 197 artists done overall. So a very solid finish there for Esoteric. And when you take into consideration that low impact score, finishing this high overall becomes even more impressive. This is what I love seeing right here. A guy who is clearly very talented when it comes to actual rapping skills. I'm not sure anyone would question that. But the age-old debate of what has he done can always be used against him. It looks from this vantage point, at least so far, that Esoteric's skill level was able to carry him to a solid finish despite the low impact score. Now, this is not to pin Esoteric against Ja Rule or say that Ja Rule sucks... But two polar opposites here. One, a tremendous lyricist with no commercial or mainstream success. And the other, an average lyricist with a solid amount of mainstream commercial success. Esoteric able to finish way on top in this particular instance. So shout outs to Esoteric for being good enough to make it count overall and being able to overcome that deficit of not being mainstream commercially successful and not having a giant impact on the hip hop industry so now let's get into our list and as always we'll start off with our top 10 percent overall so in our top spot we have eminem who's in first place of 197 artists done overall directly behind him in second we have jay-z directly behind jay is big pun who's in third couple of slots back from him in fifth is vinnie paz of jedi mind tricks directly behind paz is az in sixth directly behind him in seventh is big l Directly behind L is Nas, who's in eighth. Directly behind him in ninth is Method Man. Directly behind Meth is Cannabis, who's in tenth. Directly behind him in eleventh is Black Thought of the Roots. Directly behind Thought is Killer Priest, who's in twelfth. And directly behind him in a three-way tie for thirteenth place, we have Tupac, Biggie, and Jadakus. Directly behind them is DMX, who's in sixteenth. Directly behind D, we have a tie for 17th place between Pharo Manch and Jussala of Jedi Mind Tricks. Directly behind them is Talib Kweli, who's in 19th. And directly behind him is KRS-One, who's in 20th place of 197 artists done overall. So again, even with the solid finish from Esoteric, neither artist today able to crack this top 10% overall list and... That's just a testament to how far we've come in this study and how ridiculous some of these top guys are. We now have tremendous people with great finishes not cracking any lists. And I guess that's just the way things are going to go from now on. To be mentioned in any of these lists, you're really going to have to be a special artist at this point, period. Now we're going to move on to our top 10% lyrically so far. In our top spot, we have Eminem with a lyrical score of 95 in a five-way tie for second place, we have Pharaoh Manch, Black Thought of the Roots, Nas, AZ, and Vinnie Paz of Jedi Mind Tricks, all with lyrical scores of eight and a half. In a four-way tie for seventh place, we have Method Man, Jay-Z, Big Pun, and Cannabis, all with lyrical scores of eight. And then in a sixth-way tie for 11th place, we have Master Ace, Jizza, Common, Big L, Talib Kweli, an Esoteric, all with lyrical scores of seven and a half. And in a seven-way tie for our 17th and final spot, we have KRS-One, Lord Finesse, Sean Price of Helter Skelter, Slug of Atmosphere, Jadakiss of the Locks, Killer Priest, and Benefit, who all got lyrical scores of seven. So Esoteric able to slide into a tie for 11th place lyrically so far, which obviously slides all the names behind him back a spot into a tie for 17th as opposed to 16th. And this is another list that's just getting really absurd now. I think soon we're going to have most of these guys who hit 7 knocked off this list, which is absolutely insane because these 7s are some very impressive lyricists. So let's put some respect on those names while they're still here, no doubt about that. Now let's move into our decades list, starting off with our OG 80s decade. So your top five artists to come out in the 80s are KRS-One, Slick Rick, Rock Him, Rev Run of Run DMC, and LL Cool J. Reads the same as it always does, and I'm not mad at it. Now let's move into our 90s decade. Your top five artists to come out in the 90s are Eminem, Jay-Z, Big Pun, Vinnie Paz, and AZ. So that's six weeks in a row now that no artists have been able to crack this top five of the 90s list. And again, especially considering we're nearing the end of the 90s here, and these are all top guys, not much of a surprise here. I'll be curious to see if this list ever changes again, actually, to be completely honest with you. For now, let's move on to our regional lists and see what those are currently looking like. We're going to start off with our East Coast. Your top three artists to come out of the East Coast thus far are Jay-Z from Brooklyn, New York, Big Pun from the Bronx, New York, and Vinnie Paz from Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. Moving across the country to our west coast, your top artists to come out of the west coast thus far is Tupac from Marin County, California, Raz Kaz from Carson, California, and Ice Cube of NWA from Los Angeles, California. Moving down south, your top three artists to come out of the south are Benefit from Florida, Lil Wayne from New Orleans, Louisiana, and Andre 3000 of Outkast from Atlanta, Georgia. Moving over to our Midwest, your top three artists to come out of the Midwest are Eminem from Detroit, Michigan, Proof also from Detroit, Michigan, and Common from Chicago, Illinois. So both guys today from the East Coast, and like I touched on last week, you're flat out probably going to have to be one of the greatest rappers of all time to get on that list. So regardless of these finishes here, that's not the case today, so... All these lists stay the same aside from Esoteric being able to tie for that 11th spot lyrically overall so far, so impressive stuff for sure. Shoutouts to him for that, and Ja Rule for creating plenty of music that I love, and anyone else in any of these lists today, no doubt about that. If you'd like to see any or all of these lists in full, you can give the Facebook website a visit at www.facebook.com slash podcast. You can also give the host website a visit at www.anchor.fm slash podcast. Both of those links are spelled completely normally. I would greatly appreciate anybody that could hit that support button for me. Thank you very much. And that'll just about do it for today's episode. Next week, we'll be covering underground hip-hop duo Binary Star. And that will be our very last episode before we break for the summer and... I'll give you a little spoiler. I promise you do not want to miss this episode. Tale of the Tapes. Peace. Tale of the Tapes. Might as well. Better off.